Thank you for listening to the Lunch Pail Guys podcast. If you enjoy the show and want to support us, the best ways are to leave a five-star review and subscribe on your favorite platform and follow us on Twitter or Instagram at lunchpailguys underscore. Welcome to the Lunch Pail Guys podcast, the 182nd edition, or week of it rather. Um, this is Jared with only Lucas and Wyatt this time podcasting, but uh, we will try our best to make up for the absence of both parties. Uh, try and probably fail, but you're going to get a good good episode no matter what. Um, let's start it off with you know some news we missed, as always. Um, first off, with the Washington Commanders. Uh, there's apparently already a pat a, a trademark or something or patent, not patent. Would it be a trademark no, trade, or copyright trade, on the, trademark? Yeah, trademark on the commander's name, and the, they might need to change their name again. Again, anybody else have more details on that? Wider, Lugu? No, that's. I saw that headline. That's the extent <laughs> I was about it. Yeah, that's basically the gist of it. Okay. Hmm. So stay we'll tuned for Washington football team. Wait, I mean the commander. Washington. Yeah, the Washington football team was a better name anyway. I agree. There's something kind of interesting about the Washington football, like something different, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. like it's like unironically funny, but really yeah, cool. Right. Uh, unironically really cool is what I meant to say. Football yeah, team? I can agree. <clears throat> the football team. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll see if new ownership, um, which also I think got like, put on hold for a little bit too, right? Like the new ownership or something, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. Um, as we speak, the Florida Panthers in the NHL are playing game four. They're up three, two and likely on their way to the Stanley cup finals, which I know all our listeners definitely tune in to hear us talk about hockey updates, but there you go. <laughs> yeah. I'm still waiting. I listened to this really cool podcast. I've been listening to this really cool podcast. Not, not mm-hmm. a friend of the pod, but a good show. Uh, called ESPN Daily. Um, it's just like fun little sports stories every day from ESPN. One of them was about how the Florida Panthers in the mid-90s um, known to the Stanley Cup in like their third or fourth year of existence. And they had this whole tradition with rats. Because before their like opening game in 95 or something, um, the, the like there was a rat in the locker room. One of the players like slapped it with the hockey stick and killed it. And they went out and like, won the game and he scored two more goals so like rats became a whole good luck charm for them and when people would score goals people would throw plastic rats on the ice it was a whole thing so i knew nothing about the florida panthers until three hours ago when i was cooking dinner and listening to the podcast but now i'm a fan <laughs> <laughs> thanks for sharing your panthers <laughs> yeah panthers you're welcome luck. yeah um dang we're gonna whip around to some basketball now lebron james uh, in his post-game speech after getting swept by Jokic. I never thought I would see Jokic doing the sweeping. Uh, LeBron James teased retirement in that press conference. <clears throat> Any thoughts? We'll see. Beginning of I the saw end. Nick Wright, Nick Wright proposed that the Lakers trade him to the Warriors for Jordan Poole, Donathan Kaminga, and somebody else. That's crazy. I don't know. Yeah, there's no way they would ever do that trade in a million years. Yeah, yeah that's like against the Warriors ethos. You know? Yeah. I don't know. They took Kevin Durant. They didn't care about that. <laughs> yeah, but like 
Kevin Durant as a free agent wanted to get there, and like their whole thing was beating LeBron. The thing to take him on goes against their ethos. Yeah. Okay, that's a fair. Um, other basketball news, though, the Clippers GM, uh, Michael Winger, is moving to the Wizards to take over basketball operations there. In case that was a big thing you were following. I was. Okay, good. <laughs> I've been a big fan of that You're guy all for a while. in tune, yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. I don't know. He's put together. How long has he been for the Clippers? Do you know? 2017. General manager since 2017. Okay, he's had some... I mean, he got, you know, Kawhi and Paul George there. That's something. Maybe he'll bring some success. Russell Westbrook. <laughs> Russell Westbrook, yes. To the Wizards. Um, John Wall. No, I'm just joking. Um... <laughs> Yeah, and then our final news we missed. Uh, Aaron Rodgers always manages to make headlines every week. Uh, but this time, kind of a bad headline. He tweaked his calf uh, at OTAs or something, minicamp. One of the two. Wyatt? Uh, what is it going I think it's OTAs right now. Okay. So that. He'll be fine. Just take some supplements, some some of those vitamins that he, he probably has or whatever, and he'll be fine. <laughs> Yeah. Um, okay, let's you know what? Let's just get into like the meat of the episode at this point. Um, we're going to talk about the Miami Heat. We thought maybe by this point the Heat would have beaten the Celtics and advanced to the NBA Finals. The Celtics managed to win game four, so it's 3-1. But unless the Celtics do something that no team has ever done, the Miami Heat will probably be heading to the NBA Finals. But I think it's a fair question. While this, this run has been super fun, all the Jimmy Butler memes and everything... Will this heat run mean anything if they don't win a title? I'm going to start on this one, actually. Ask myself the, my own question here. <laughs> or give myself my own little segue. So that it kind of as reminds me, actually. <laughs> Wait, what, Lucas? Oh, I said, as you should give yourself your own okay, segue. Thank you, you, thank you, you. you designed a good segment, and you should, you should <laughs> <lean> it. <laughs> so it kind of reminds me of a scene, the scene, one of the scenes from Moneyball, actually, towards the end, where the A's have just broken the record for the longest win streak in American League history. And Peter Brand, played by Jonah Hill, is is very excited. Like, hey, we just got the record. Super excited. And Billy Bean's just sitting there and says, "What's the point? Who's in? Who cares? He's not in it for a record. He's not in it for like this fun little run that they did, which is kind of like what the Heat are on. I think it's analogous. I would say. But he says something interesting with like, if any other team wins the World Series, good for them. But if we win, then we will have changed the game. And that's that's what he that's what his character. Wants. I'm not sure if that's what he actually wanted in real life, but that's like Billy being the character in Moneyball wants. So I, this isn't saying like that the Heat have to win a championship for this run to mean anything. Of course, if they do, like this one run will be remembered for ages. First eight seed ever to win NBA Finals, only the second ever to even make it to the NBA Finals. Um, but I think there's still a way for the Heat to lose the championship and for the run to still mean something. And that would be if they created some sort of paradigm shift or changed the way the game is played in some way. I would say the last time this happened was, I would say, probably this just Steph Curry three-point revolution uh, where Curry's shooting double-digit threes a game. For example, for comparison, Jimmy Butler's only putting up like three or four a game right now. So maybe that's, I don't know if that's the paradigm shift where like the Heat during the regular season, by the way, were the fourth worst three-point shooting team in the league. Now in the playoffs, they're second best. So I don't know what happened, what's happening there. But efficiency, it could be maybe even the importance of coaching once again. I think this is like 
probably Eric Spolstra's best coaching job he's ever done. And he's definitely solidified himself as one of the best coaches in the NBA. If he wasn't already there. I mean, he's one of the only LeBron uh, coaches that have previously coached LeBron that's still in the league and like with the same team that LeBron was with at the same time, too. That's actually pretty impressive, too, with the pressure cooker that, you know, the LeBron James situation uh, creates. It could be maybe a paradigm shift in, like, the importance of spacing. There's been a lot of, not a lot, but I watched a video, I guess, today about how Jimmy Butler's really good at getting mid-range shots and taking what the defense gives him and how the defense will give him a lot of space. He'll take it. Then when they start playing up, he's really good at up and unders and using, like, pivots and pump fakes to get his shot. Um... So I think in conclusion, like, if this run ends in a championship, unless this run ends in a championship or changes the way the game is played, I don't think this run is necessarily going to be remembered, to be honest. It'll be like a fun little meme segment, like fun little internet sensation for a little bit, but it's not really that important after that. I mean, even so, like, for example, it was the 99 Knicks, I believe, was the other eight seed to make the NBA Finals. Mm -hmm. Like, nobody, they're not talked about in the, you know, annals of NBA history. Even even a team like the 2003-04 Pistons, who I feel like is probably the most random championship winner in the last 20 years, they're never talked about either. Because they didn't change anything about the game, I think. If they change something about the game, I think this run, run will be remembered. Even if they lose. That's, I think fair to some extent. But I think, <clears throat> well, it might not be like remembered remembered if they don't win i do think it is like an important legacy sort of run for a lot of reasons i think for both the organization the coach and a lot of the players i think and we'll get into this in our in our next episode but i think this is sort of living proof that the heat are the best run organization in basketball they've taken a team of largely undrafted players um a guy named jimmy butler who is who's good but during the regular season is definitely not a top 10 player in the league in the postseason probably a different story um they've had some of their really good players injured tyler hero specifically but also old depot contributing guy on that team also injured and they've taken that and shown that with good management of personalities with really effective coaching that you can win and i mean has it been you know the most luck free run no i mean Giannis got hurt in the first round you don't know how that changes things um if he plays all the games healthy i know he came back at the end of it but it's different I don't think the Knicks are like a great team. I don't think that that series win is anything like super impressive. But I think beating the Celtics is, is you know, nothing to sneeze at. And so I think that, like, if they can make the finals, which for all intents and purposes, they most certainly will. Um, like Jared said, the only way that doesn't happen is if something that's never happened in NBA history happens. But the first team to do it in baseball history was also a team from Boston. So you never know, <laughs> I guess, what happens there. Um, but... Again, I think it shows that coaching, talent development, all that can at least bring you close to a title, um, which, and maybe that's sort of like maybe the game-changing aspect of it. Um, and like we're at a point of parity in the NBA where you don't need a superstar, a super team. Like this might be the final death knell to the super team era. Because if you look at it, the teams that are going to make the finals are, I wouldn't consider... Denver, anything close to a super team. I mean, they have Jokic, who's maybe the best player in basketball, but around him, like Jamal Murray's good, Aaron Gordon's good, but none of those guys are really other stars. And the same thing with the Heat. Jimmy Butler's great, but around him, they're not really stars. 
Anyway, I think that's a long-winded way with a lot of diversions of saying that it shows that the Heat are one of the best run organizations in basketball. I also think for Jimmy Butler, it's been a huge legacy run, and that's why it's important that while winning a title will obviously do huge things for his legacy, I think even making this run again sort of elevates him again in the conversation. It shows that 2020 was not a fluke, that he really sort of can make runs in playoffs, that he is a superstar. Um, and Because I don't know if confidently going in to this postseason, I would have said that he was a superstar, but now I think you can put him in that category. Um, and additionally, I think it shows that Spolstra is is probably the best coach in the NBA right now. Nobody has had the level of consistent excellence uh, that he's had, especially with the rosters he's had in the last you know three or four years. They've made three of the last four Eastern Conference Finals, made a final, will probably make a second with I think like one of the sixth or seventh best rosters in their conference. So I think. It's just a testament to Spolster and all he's done there. It shows that, you know, he didn't just succeed and win all those titles because he had the super team. Like, that certainly helped, but it's really hard to manage all those personalities. You saw it, like you mentioned, Jared, with all the coaches that LeBron has had that have gone by the wayside. Managing those personalities and getting that to work was not an easy task. And the fact that he got two titles out of it is is pretty impressive. So I think it is a huge legacy development for the Heat. For Jimmy and first Bolstra. Yeah, Lucas, I agree with everything you said, especially at the point um, where this is this is definitely the final nail in the coffin of like the super team. Let's just trade for three superstars because I think you've seen a lot of the teams that have done it, like um, the Brooklyn Nets with Kyrie, James Harden, and Kevin Durant. That kind of blew up in their face. The Suns organization doing the same thing by trading for Kevin Durant and adding another guy to play alongside. Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton, that blew up in their face as well. Although they did take the Nuggets to six, um, they did not achieve the Clippers saying, let's build a super team in trading for Paul George and moving on from Shea Gillis-Alexander, who was a first All-NBA player this year. Um, That has blown up in their face as well. So I think um, as far as changing the game is concerned, teams will far more lean on coaching, which does seem to be a trend with the championship level coaches getting fired as of late they do demand a high level of coaching um but culture and fit alongside a superstar like jimmy butler i think go a long way the fact that they can have seven rotational players who were undrafted um and play alongside jimmy butler is incredible because they just fit and they're a part of the culture and they know what they have to do and you see the conversations they have on the bench and how in tune they are with each other there was another crazy tweet that said Cody Zeller is the highest drafted player on the Miami Heat right now, and he was the fourth yeah. overall pick. And then everybody else underneath that is basically just like even Kevin Love and Jimmy Butler, um, like are who are probably two of the more talented players coming out. But uh, you know, obviously, we're not drafted high. That this team has bought into something bigger than themselves, and basically has embraced what sports are at its core where uh, hard work beats talent when talent fails to work hard and that they've managed to embrace the little details that it takes to win a championship. Uh, Lucas, I also agree that this completely validates the 2020 run where, oh, it's just the bubble. And and funny enough, because the four teams in the conference finals were the four teams that were in the bubble, so maybe it was already validated. But the fact that they are seemingly going on to the NBA finals um, and Jimmy Butler is having another historic run as well, I think does validate the fact that they are who we, who they, they presented themselves to be and who I thought they were um, coming out, out of that 2020 year is that 
Jimmy Butler is a bona fide superstar, and Eric Spolstra is the best coach in the NBA. And I don't think there's any question about that now regarding to what can be done um, with the Miami Heat team right now. And players, by the way, should be flocking to play for Miami. I think people, oh, like, I he what he loves the big lights. He wants to be in New York, and he wants to be in L.A., and he wants to hit the West Coast or whatever. But guys like Dame and James Harden and Joel Embiid and um, player and Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook, who maybe want to find a way to fit in to win a championship, I think that they should call their agents and figure out a way to get themselves to Miami. That they want to play in a culture like Miami. They want to play alongside a guy and Jimmy Butler who you don't have to question whether or not he's going to show up for big games. Um, and that basically they don't, that you don't have to, if you're Miami, you don't have to go out and trade for a Kevin Durant. Like we need to get a one in here. You need to get a number two to play alongside Jimmy Butler, who maybe will help you get a higher seating during the regular season. And who is just going to help not necessarily help Jimmy, take some load off of Jimmy Butler because he can handle it, but to clear yourself miles above the rest of these teams in the postseason. What I think is particularly impressive about the Heat is that all those undrafted guys I don't think would be nearly as good as they were if they were anywhere else in the league. Like, Game Vincent would not be Game Vincent. Max Struess would not be Max Struess. There's something that they've all bought into in the culture there that's just, I don't know, electric. And I'll reference that ESPN Daily podcast. I listened to their an episode on Heat culture, I think, sometime earlier this week. Um, I listened to my walk to work today. And if you look at, like, the hustle stats... The Heat are top in every single one, and Jimmy Butler is like top in every single one, and they're like charges taken. Um, what's what are some of those balls deflected things um, of that nature? The Heat are number one in all of them, and then I think that proves that this is cultural. It's not, you know, necessarily about the talent inherent to each of the players. It's that they have a system, it works, and they go forward with it, and it shows the value of good coaching. I I. You know, listen to stuff about the Sixers and all the talk about Doc Rivers recently after he's been fired. And there was an interview with Rasheed Wallace where he talked about his time with the Celtics and what Doc Rivers would do. And apparently, you know, he'd get in the huddle, they'd talk about stuff, and then the players would come out on the floor and they'd just, like, change what they were doing. Maybe it's because what Doc suggested wasn't good. Maybe it's because they thought they knew better and the culture wasn't there. But I think that nothing like that would ever happen in Miami. There was a level of, like, institutional stability there. Um, with Pat Riley, Derek Spolstra, that, you know, from the top down makes things just hum super effectively. And I think that's why it works for the Heat. And so I think it's going to be super hard to duplicate. Like, I think in the in the super team era, that sort of model, it was easier to duplicate and win. Not that many teams did it successfully, but it's at least an easier process to follow. If this is the direction the league is going, um, I think that, again, it becomes a little harder to duplicate because you need that top-to-bottom success. And you do still need an elite player, obviously, um, to lead you, but I think Denver's getting somewhere close. I think they have that sort of good hustle mentality um, that they all sort of played together really, really well. The fact that, you know, Jamal Murray's an excellent player. Aaron Gordon's really good. All the other role players around Jokic are good, but they play together and they play well. I think that's going to become a more effective model for winning in the future mm-hmm. than all the competing egos of a super team in, that, in the brief era we had of that. 
Yeah. Okay. I agree. We could we could be we could be jumping to conclusions too. I don't know. <laughs> this kid again. Yeah. I th- I feel like this could just be a flash in the pan. Like this was a fun meme run. You know, like great. All the Jimmy Butler memes were fun, but at the end of the day, who cares? I don't know. I will say though, one thing. This isn't like a the regular season doesn't matter sort of thing because even though the Heat did struggle, it wasn't like that they were first off like taking the season off or anything like that. They had the most in I think they had the most or like second most injuries this year, um, in terms of like number of games missed due to injury. And they also tied the single season NBA record for most wins by five points or less, which kind of seems like a weird stat, but basically it means they played in a lot of close games. And I feel like that kind of prepped them, I guess. For the grind of the NBA, for the grind of the playoffs too, so it's not like a regular season doesn't matter sort of thing. I think this shows it did matter what happened to them in the mm-hmm. regular season. But no, for sure, I agree. Okay, the other side of the coin though, why is the Boston Celtics? Who again, unless they do something that has never happened before in NBA history, which is come back from down 0-3 to win a series, they're going to be going home. And probably, I would say, a disappointment for the season. Uh, disappointing season. I mean, I think anything short of a championship this year would have been disappointing for the Celtics, to be honest. Where do you think they go from here, assuming they do lose? Where do you think they go from here? What do you think the playoffs say about Jason Tatum? Anything like that? Um, well, there are two sides to this decision coin um, that they can go with. One side of the coin preaches patience. It reminds the Celtics that Rome wasn't built in a day. The Nuggets could have easily traded Jamal Murray after um, some injuries a couple years back or fired Mike Malone, who has now reached his eighth year as a head coach, um, rather than moving on from Joe Missoula in his first year. It shows them that Eric Spolstra has now become the best coach in the league in, in his 20th season with the Miami Heat, and he has taken this team as far as uh, to kick the Celtics' butt, most certainly. And then the other side of the coin shows failure. And yes, you have three conference finals since 2020, but against teams with like a real level of pedigree, whether that's the Bucks, whether that's this Miami Heat team, whether the, or the previous Miami Heat team, or the Warriors, um, you have failed to really overcome the challenge of real championship-level pedigree. And we know what happens to coaches that don't seem to pick up the pieces to those expectations like Mike Budenholzer, uh, Monty Williams, Nick Nurse, Doc Rivers, and this side of the coin would tell you that it's time to fire Joe Missoula, your in-case-of-emergency head coach, and maybe trade Jalen Brown for spare parts. They, the Celtics strike me as a far more patient style of team um, that may catch the run-it-back fever that is very deadly and keep these young players together. I am a little bit more brash uh, personally than that. I wonder if Jason Tatum really is the required amount of alpha-style basketball to be the focal point of the team. His floor has become um his his floor is low. It's like a James Harden level floor where he's ten to seventeen points. He has a bad shooting three point shooting night. Um he seems to shrink in moments where he will go long spouts without taking a shot. Um and then mm-hmm. in some areas he'll go off in like a crunch time game like against Philly in game seven. <clears throat> but in game two and game three of this series, he was bad offensively despite 34 points in in game two. He was awful from the three-point line. And I think that the presence of Jalen Brown does present some challenges for Jason Tatum's mental approach to it, where he may take a backseat to Brown's more aggressive, get the ball in my hand style of play. Um, And he'll just kind of let him and and here you go and watch him do what he's got to do. 
Um, luckily for Tatum, though, I don't think Brown wants to be there next season and is has become frustrated with his role as I am a guy who wants to take charge. I am a guy who views myself as a closer. He probably views himself as the best player on the team, and I don't blame him for it. And the team and the media and everybody tells you that Jason Tatum is the guy that's going to lead them to a championship. And he's by far the more talented player in a nutshell than Jalen Brown. Um, But I think that those two things clash with each other. And Tatum has often found himself letting Jalen Brown take charge of it. Or Marcus Smart, for that matter, who loves to maybe arrogantly um, take charge of the Celtics offense late in games as well. Um, so I think that you could trade Brown for contributed assets and basically force Jason Tatum to take the driver's seat of this franchise. There is nobody else there that's going to bail you out, and you have no choice but to become a high-floor, even higher-ceiling-style player who gets up for these playoff games because you know 10 points in a playoff game is not good enough anymore. Um, you are no longer just this 19-year-old kid who's trying to find his footing in the league you're a player who has real championship expectations and you need to start living up to them. And I, and I believe that that's the approach if I were running the team that I would take. Do you think uh, of the two of them, who do you think it's better to build around? Do you think it's Tatum or do you think it's Jalen Brown? I think Tatum has the higher ceiling. I think Tatum's ceiling is maybe, maybe it's Kawhi Leonard and Brown's ceiling is Paul George possibly. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with Paul. Like, I think Jalen Brown is going to be a very talented player. And who knows? Like, Jalen Brown might become James Harden once he once he finally gets his own team, the same way James Harden had exploded after leaving the Thunder. But I just think that, one, given the caliber of draft capital you and how lucky you were to get Jason Tatum, it makes more sense to go after a guy like that who I think is just more versatile offensively. Yeah. I agree, but I think that it has been sort of a a knocker reflection on Tatum of the playoffs. Like to some extent, it is what has happened in the series. Him being covered by Jimmy Butler, a much better defender, specifically built for him um, than anybody that the Sixers had. Um, the Sixers' best defender is Embiid. He's a center, not going to be effective at guarding Tatum, so he could go off. But even despite that, in the Sixers series, Tatum there were nights he struggled. A lot. I think of game six, which, yes, he took over at the end, but he started one for 14. Um, there were multiple times where he didn't have any points in the first quarter and sort of crumbled down the stretch as well, especially in games that the Sixers won. So I think in addition to you know his performance in this series, I think even the Sixers series, despite that game seven explosion, there are some signs for concerns. Like He just can't do it quite consistently enough, and that's my fear with him. And again, he's young. I think he's 24 still he's got a lot of time to do that but the consistency is a little worrying uh from him and i am kind of with i don't know i'm kind of in the mindset that they should run it back i think talent wise they are still top two or three in the nba they can tinker they can make it better they have so many guys that are just like athletic and can make shots and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't i'm they have much less experience in these. Uh, and I think a part of this is just, this isn't a knock on Missoula, but he's just getting outcoached in the series because mm-hmm. Eric Spolster has been doing this for forever and is one of the best coaches in the NBA. Missoula's young. He's still learning. I don't think this is a sign that they need to move on from him necessarily. I thought he did a good to decent job this season um, getting them to this point. 
I think the criticism, while in some ways justified of him, and his rotations, his not calling timeouts has been justified, he still got them to a conference finals. He beat a very talented Sixers team. I think he's just getting outclassed by a better coach. But that's not to say that he's a bad coach or given the right circumstances, he's going to get there. So I'm tempted to run it back for at least one more year and see how it goes from there if I'm the Celtics. Yeah, so, yeah, I think there's plenty of reason to run it back. The, like, the last two champions, for example, were teams that had an overall patient strategy, like the Bucks didn't try to blow up anything really and kept their core. Obviously, the Warriors already did have their core. And they they made some trades and stuff, but I wouldn't say they blew it up. They kept they kept their main guys, right, with Clay, Draymond, and Steph. Um and then you have one of one of the three teams that will have to win the final uh win the championship this year will also be a team that was patient and didn't blow up their core. Like look at the Nuggets, you have like you said, Wyatt, um they could be a North Star for you, I think. Um, keeping their guy, their homegrown guys in Jokic and Murray, and then the Heat too. Look at like looking what they have done as well. Um, so what I would say is, for Joe Missoula, I definitely don't think it's fair. It would be fair to get rid of him this year because he had like a month of off season training. He was he was uh, promoted to the head coach like September twenty second, and then what? When does the season start? Like October thirty first. It usually starts around Halloween. So he had like a month to get the team ready. He didn't have an, a true off season program. And he's learning how to coach on the fly. He's learning how to coach the playoffs on the fly. You know, obviously, and obviously he has done, like you said, Lucas, a pretty good job. And then he's going against one of the best, if not the best, right now, NBA coaches in the league. So I don't think it's definitely. I don't think it's fair to do that. I think it would be fair to be patient and uh, stick with Missoula for another year and see what happens. I think one thing on Tatum too is the like conversation around his like playoff failures is not as harsh as other players, and I think shows that he's not even thought of as one of the superstars of the league yet. You know what I mean? I feel like if any other... There's a tweet, basically, that was like, any other star has zero points in three games. He had zero points in games one through three in the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, if any, if that happens to like any other superstar, like a Kevin Durant or LeBron James, Giannis, Anthony Davis even, <laughs> I feel like like they would be getting eviscerated right now. And Tatum's kind of like... I, even though he's in a boss, the Boston market too, which is really harsh, I feel like he's kind of escaped a lot of criticism in a way. Or others have gotten worse, I should say. Yeah, and I can't really explain that discrepancy because I mean, yeah. you look at even who they beat in the last round, the Sixers, and obviously different circumstances, but Harden and Embiid got destroyed for their yeah. performances, especially in Game 7. I don't get why Tatum, who I think has been, he's at least been worse than Embiid, was in the last series in this series like Embiid wasn't great I would say in this conference semifinals but he scored some points in the fourth quarter and he got even still destroyed for that and it's not to say that Embiid was great because he was awful and especially in game seven he not just part of the reason why they just collapsed in game seven the Sixers did but Tatum has escaped all criticism and I don't maybe not all criticism but the criticism I not all but yeah lighter yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, that was a, yeah. Like I said, that I reel it back. That was a bit of a dramatic statement, but I feel like the criticism hasn't been as pointed towards him as it would be towards others. And I think it does speak to what you said, Jared, in that yeah, maybe he just isn't seen as a level of other superstars. Um, and you know, I yeah. wonder what would elevate him to there. I also think he he's not he's like doesn't make comments like newsworthy comments. I feel like he's like kind of like just soft spoken <clears throat> and like very clean cut and everything. So there's like not that much 
to get mad at him about, I guess, where like Embiid might say something kind of stupid or like he's getting in fights kind of, you know, on the court or something like that, that like kind of draws attention to you in a little way that like, I don't think Tatum does that. <laughs> I think that's mm-hmm. part of it. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. We appreciate you guys listening. If you like anything you heard, go ahead and follow us on all of our social medias at lunchpellguys underscore. That's that on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, as well as subscribe to the show so you guys don't miss an episode, including the next one where we talk about the best and worst brand franchises in sports history and the state of the Buccaneers. Thank you.